Hi, everyone. Conversation got kind of long, so we split this up into two episodes. Check out the next episode for the rest of the conversation. You think you know what we're going to talk about. And welcome back to Three Fates Decide. It just sounds more dramatic that way. All right. So this week we are going to be talking about... But just when you least expect it, we changed the game. One Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. I mean, we always celebrated Easter. You're part of the Half-Blood Prince. So we're going to do another free talk, freestyle thing. No planned discussion. At the end of the day, only one thing matters. We decide. We're going to hit the, the main highlight. That is the thing that we were saying back in that episode. A quick recap. Three Fates Decide podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Three Fates Decide. My name is Liz, and this week it's just me and Mary. Sam is out of town for a week doing a camp with some of her kids at our old high school. It's that time of the year. We'll miss her, but don't worry. She'll be back pretty soon. Yeah, she should be back. Yeah. <sighs> this is actually going to be a follow-up to a solo episode that I did back in November. So for those of you who happen to be newer listeners, I actually did a solo episode back in November, which is episode number 68. And this time we're going to get Mary's opinion on House of the Dragon season one. Actually, before that, we did some episodes in the past about Game of Thrones. Yes, and this is like the prequel. Yes, it's a prequel to all that. To Game of Thrones. Yeah. Although, admittedly, if you were a very sharp-eyed viewer of the original Game of Thrones, you technically got spoiled about how this all ends. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We already know how it ends, but it's the getting there that's the fun part. Right. And though we technically know how it ends, it's the lead up to that ending. Exactly. And also, this is something I did mention in my solo, but what's also interesting about watching this TV show is that, in a sense, we're going to get a different perspective on how things happened because the source material that the series is based off of, it's technically written as a fictional history book written by a maester. And like any other history book, you're going to get potential author biases and limited knowledge by the researcher slash author of the book. It'll be interesting. Yeah, I did not get to watch this when it first came out. I had to watch it several months later. I probably watched this back in March, April, I think. I think I watched it like March and April. Right. So it's been a little bit since I watched it. But I will say overall for the entire season, I'll just start overall for the entire season for me. I did like it. Now I'm like very invested in season two, which they are filming now or they were filming. Are they still filming it with the strikes going on? They're not really affected by the strike because the actors on the show are British actors primarily. So they would be under equity. True. And not SAG-AFTRA. Right. But I was wondering if they had stopped filming in solidarity because I thought some of the British actors guilds did that. No, it's a little confusing. But just in case any of you listeners are wondering, this is 
a call back to episode 101. But basically, Equity said our members are cast in whatever projects, so we will fulfill those agreements that we have. But any new projects, we will not participate if they were originally SAG-AFTRA projects. That may be what you're thinking of. That might be it. Yeah, because in essence, if let's say this was originally supposed to be filmed out in like Louisiana or something, and it's primarily American actors that are members of SAG-AFTRA, but then they suddenly decide to cast British actors to take over the roles because the original actors are protesting right now. Equity basically said, that's not cool. We are not going to, our members agreed not to do that, not to break the strike by taking over those roles from our American fellows, which is good of them to say that, which is why shows like House of the Dragon are still filming. It was a little odd, though, because of the Writers Guild issue, but apparently shows like House of the Dragon are gambling on them not really needing writers on set to do rewrites. So I don't know. Well, hopefully they don't need to do any rewrites because they're screwed otherwise. Also, to be fair, Ryan Condal, who is the showrunner, also does a lot of writing for the show. So that's another workaround, I guess, is maybe he would have to get more involved in any on-set rewrites, which actually I think he did. I think there were some articles mentioning that did happen, although it's not so much on-set, but just before they were going to start filming. I think he did additional rewrites. But I don't know, maybe uh, listeners can correct me on that if I mixed it up, but whatever. Possibly. But anywho, what else did you think about the season overall? It was good, although I am just severely upset over the fact that it ended on such a huge cliffhanger. Yeah. And I'm like, really? Yeah. I was like, of all the cliffhangers that they could have ended it on, they ended it on that? I'm like, really? Mm, yeah i'm like that though to be fair it is a pretty good though dramatic way to end the season oh yeah it was a great way to end the season but at the same time i was like gosh darn it i hate cliffhangers when they're that good because i'm like i have to know i have to know right because i'm like i just i have to know because the woman is going to burn it she's going to burn the world now she's going to burn the world yeah and if she doesn't then damon is going to burn the world yeah, yeah. Surprisingly, Damon is pretty attached to uh, his stepsons. Yes. Not that it's ever a bad thing, but I'm just saying it's, he's a, he seems to be a lot more attached to them than you would expect. Yeah. I guess he's not quite as jealous of her as you would expect out of a guy like him. But Yeah, I think it's more the fact that he, I don't want to put it, Hey, I don't necessarily really think he's so much jealous of her now as he was when she was younger. Hmm. Because now he has her, basically. Right. And I honestly think the only reason he wanted her at first was because she was named the heir. Right. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to just very briefly talk about what happened in each of the episodes and then marry what you thought. Yeah. Because again, if you want hardcore <laughs> opinions you have that episode i already did a few months ago to go listen to but 
Okay, so the first episode was The Heirs of the Dragon. So basically it is a introduction episode to all the major players of this mm -hmm. version of the Game of Thrones, if you will. This prequel that happened, what, a few centuries before the Game of Thrones, correct? Centuries, quite like a hundred years or something. Something to that effect. Yeah, I can't fully remember. It certainly felt like it was centuries earlier. <laughs> 172 years. Yeah. Okay, so almost two centuries. Almost. Right. So the mess got started when King J. Harris I, a.k.a. King J. Harris the Conciliator, convened a great council to help him decide an heir when the more obvious lines of succession didn't quite work out because his two sons died. So it led up to this great council where the lords of Westeros got to vote on which of his grandchildren should be his heir, which is a whole other mess that we're not going to get into this episode. Yeah. Let's just say they had to pick between Prince Viserys or Princess Rhaenys. And of course, considering the patriarchal society that Westeros is ruled by, they, of course, chose Prince Viserys over Princess Rhaenys. So he became King Viserys the first, correct? Yes. Good. Okay. Yeah. I was like, trying to remember. I thought he was the first. Yes, he is the first. The first of his name or something like is how they do it. Yeah. Yeah, King Viserys first. Right. Yes, which is unfortunate choice in hindsight because... You can clearly tell that Rhaenys is a stronger personality and she probably would have been more competent and less of a pushover. She was the correct choice. However, she was a woman. Yeah. We're not going to get into the political discussion of the patriarchy, the matriarchal societies and all this and all that. Of the two, when you're looking at them, especially as you go through the episodes, you see she was the correct choice to have picked. She would have been a wonderful queen. However, they didn't choose her because she was a woman. This is like getting into canon stuff slightly, but I'm also a little surprised that Jay Harris and Alisane didn't arrange to have Viserys and Rhaenys marry each other. I know. That that was weird. I, I am surprised about that, actually, because that would have made political sense ages ago. It would have, because that's what they did. Right. Whether you're talking about a fictional monarchy or real-world historical monarchy. Cousins marrying each other is not uncommon at all. Right. And not to mention, since their dads were both potential heirs to the throne, you would have tied up both claims, right? Mm -hmm. But again, that's a whole other topic. Yeah. So about a decade into Mrs. Reign as king, he already has one daughter, which is Rhaenyra. But we find out that his wife, is it Ama? Emma. Emma. Okay. I sometimes I can't remember how the A is pronounced in that. Yeah, darn George and his weird spellings. Yeah, I know. He has to mess with everybody's head. But Queen Emma is pregnant. And as obviously back then they didn't know if it was male or female. They assumed every child was male. Of course. Yes. He creates a tournament to celebrate the impending birth of the child. His small council disregards his cousin by marriage, Lord Corliss Valerian. Right. 
because Corliss is married to Rhaenys. They disregard his warning that the Triarchy is going to cripple their shipping lanes and they're going to basically try to overthrow Westeros. A lot of other things happen. We meet Prince Damon, who is King Viserys's younger brother. And I have to say, I was skeptical of Matt Smith's ability to play Damon until I saw him play Damon. And then I was no longer skeptical. Yeah, that was definitely what I felt as well. Yeah, because I, I, when I first read that he was cast, I was like, I don't know. Because I've seen him play like Doctor Who and other things like that. And I'm like... I don't know that he's got the acting range that this is going to require. No, he has it. And he has it in spades. Yep. I hated this man. And then I loved this man. And then I hated him again. That's a sign of a good actor. Right. And also, it just establishes that it's a pretty good interpretation of the character, especially based off of the source material. Because even in the actual books that George wrote... You're left feeling mixed feelings about this character because of his actions and his reputation. So, yeah, they did well on this one. They did very well. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, Emma has a very difficult labor. It comes down to Viserys to choose whether to save the life of his wife or to save the life of his child. He chooses to save the life of his child. Unfortunately, they both die. She dies because they do a C-section, and he dies shortly after birth. What was it, a few hours or a couple of days? It's really not clear in the TV show, but the baby didn't live very long. No. So unfortunately, Viserys is left without a male heir, and the council is begging him to name an heir. Damon is basically cocksure and cocky that he is going to be named heir. He is not named heir because he decided to mock the dead baby, unfortunately. And he gets banished and Viserys, just to piss everybody off, says his daughter Rhaenyra is to be heir to the throne. And that was the end of the episode. Yep. Basically, yes. Yeah, that was pretty much the end of the episode. It was a good episode. Like I said, I hated Damon in this episode. He was too cocky for what he thought was going to happen. And he rightly got what he deserved by not being named heir. Yeah. Really? Yeah. To be fair, though, he seems more of an action kind of guy. And unless Westeros goes into war time on a fairly regular basis. Yeah. I don't know how he would handle being king of a relatively prosperous kingdom. It wouldn't be relatively prosperous for long. <laughs> no, but if he was like in... Viserys' position where there's not much conflict happening. Wouldn't you get bored after a while if you're like action guy type personality? He is. Which is why it's really unfortunate Rainey didn't get picked. Because I think personality-wise, she has that right balance between you can't push me around, but she's not hot-headed, so yeah, she's not gonna just create conflict with people unless they think they can push her over. Right. She would not be what they call a puppet. There would be no puppet master pulling her strings. Unfortunately, with Viserys, that is what happens. Yeah. Basically, he becomes the puppet. And in the second episode is when we really find out who the puppet master is. You get inklings of it in the first episode. But in the second episode is where I think you really found out who the puppet master is. Exactly. Yeah. 
So episode two, The Rogue Prince. Yes. This one takes place six months after the first episode. This is what threw me for a while is some of the time jumps Yeah. in this. I'm just like, my goodness. Like, this one wasn't so bad, the six months, because it's still, everybody looks the same and it's fine. The next couple is, geez, Louise. Yeah. Though, to be fair, if they kept it, like, relatively real time, as it were, this could drag out for, like, ten seasons. This is true. With a lot of filler. Right. And I understand why they do it, but it just really messes with your mind, because you're like, what? They were only this old here, and now they're, all of a sudden, they're this old? Huh? That, that was just me. I understand why they do it, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, anyway, six months after the events of the first episode, Damon has taken over dragonstone and as you remember from the original game of thrones dragonstone was the ancestral seat of the targaryens if i remember correctly yes it was yay i do remember my game of thrones because it's been a while since i watched that too well there's also pressure for the king to remarry and hopefully finally get a son which is very strange that there would be all this pressure when everybody said that we are fine with Rhaenyra being the heir, but apparently they're not really fine with her being the heir. Yes. And then there's a confrontation with Damon due to the fact that he is occupying Dragonstone, but the last straw that finally makes them actively try to do something about him is the fact that he stole a dragon egg that was supposed to go to the poor deceased baby Balon, yes. who, as a tidbit to viewers who are not familiar with Game of Thrones lore, Balon is also the name of their father, Damon and Viserys. Yes, yes. And while all this is going on, we realize who has the power, and it's not King Viserys. It would be his hand of the king, Sir Otto Hightower, because he sends his daughter, who's a teenager, to console the king who's grieving over the loss of his wife. And to console him in private. So we all know what happens there. Right. They don't show it. Thank God they don't show it. It's heavily implied as to what she was meant to do to console the king. Yeah. There's a whole lot of creepiness in this episode with that part. Yes, there is. There is pressure on Viserys to remarry in this episode. Princess Renice and her husband offer their 12-year-old daughter, Lena, to Viserys to marry. I'm like, that's even worse than Allison, because at least I think Allison is probably, what, about 15? Hard to tell how old exactly she's supposed to be, but she's around, I think she's supposed to be slightly older than Rhaenyra. Yeah. So around 15, 16 range. Yeah, because I think Rhaenyra was only, what, like 12, 13 during these? Something she's young. Yeah, it's very hard to tell in the show. It is. But yes. And I'm just like, that's just icky. That's just icky. I'm sorry. That's icky. Yeah, I know. I know it's fiction. I know it's not real. Technically, it was real because things have happened like this in real life, but it's icky. Yeah. But anyway, so they figure out that Damon is proclaiming himself as the true heir and that he has the stolen dragon egg. And he wants to marry his mistress, Masaria. He's already married, though. That's the thing. He's already married. Right. I don't remember. Who was he married to? Rhea Royce. That's right. That's right. Which, in 
lore, House Royce is a important secondary family in the Vale. Mm-hmm. That's right. And House Royce did come up in Game of Thrones. In fact, actually, one of the chief advisors to Sansa in the final season was actually, mm-hmm. his name escapes me now, but it's Lord Royce. Right. Who basically took over the representation of the Vale from... <laughs> The unmourned <laughs> little finger. Yeah. Because nobody liked him. Nobody liked him. No. Ugh. Talk about skeevy. Yes. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. We're going on tangents. Okay. But so anyway, so Otto Hightower sends a small attachment to Dragonstone. He goes with them. Rhaenyra follows on her dragon because she's a dragon rider. And she basically forces Damon. To renounce his claims and to give her the egg that was supposed to be her baby brother's. And then we find out that Viserys decides he's going to marry Alicent, which pisses everybody off. So Corlys approaches Damon, basically say, let's form an alliance. So Damon marries... Lena later. Yeah, he will marry. Yeah, he does marry Lena. After his wife mysteriously dies. But that happens in a later episode. So... What did you think overall in this one? It was good. There's a lot of skeeve going on in this one, though. There just was, like, too much going on. This is just giving me the creeps. This is just wrong. But overall, it was good. Yeah. If you understand how politics works in Westeros, it actually makes sense. Even though it's kind of weird, the idea of Viserys marrying Lena, the thing is that, politically speaking, it does actually make sense because she comes from a very important family, House Valerian. Her mother is a Targaryen. It's family keeping power within the family somewhat. And another bit of Game of Thrones lore is that actually House Valarian has married into House Targaryen at various points in history. So they're all basically distant cousins of each other anyway, which is yet another reason why it politically makes sense for Viserys to marry her, considering actually his first wife emma was actually a cousin as well but yeah this just leads to more of a mess great job viserys great job so episode three second of his name we got two storylines going on we have schemes being schemed back in king's landing where the high towers are trying to get more power through the young prince aegon that alicent has given to Viserys and Rhaenyra is of course frustrated with her situation because she's supposedly the heir to the throne and yet they don't give her much responsibility that you typically would give an heir to the throne and on top of that she is well aware that House Hightower is scheming their schemes to make her brother the heir and her father is proverbially sticking his fingers in his ears and ignoring a lot of this and assumes that when he dies, his daughter will totally be the queen and nobody is going to object to this. Yeah, right. Yeah. He's naive in that way because he's thinking, well, they love her. They love me, so therefore they love my heir. No, because he has a son now with Alicent who they want named heir, obviously, which is Aegon. Yes. And Alicent is pregnant with her second child right so at the time of this right and 
So this is three years later, and Rhaenyra is now 17. Okay. So she was like around 13, 14 during the first two episodes then. Yeah. And then, of course, the other storyline in the episode is Prince Damon and Lord Corliss battling the crab feeder, who is the leader of a pirate group attacking in the Stepstones, which are a bunch of islands very close to the continent. Even though the Stepstones are a bit of a no-man's land, geographically, politically speaking, in this world, it's pretty close to Westeros, so you're potentially infringing on territory, especially because where it's located is in the Narrow Sea, which is what separates Westeros from Essos, and therefore, if you have control of the Stepstones, you potentially have control of the Narrow Sea, so you could basically screw over people and do all sorts of shenanigans with international trade. Mm, basically, yes, yes. Yeah, it's, it's pretty similar to the English Channel between England and France. Similar idea. Yeah. Yeah. But so one of the big things in this episode is the king is sick. We don't know what he has. We just realize that his health is declining. And he is insisting that Rhaenyra needs to marry to form strong alliances and to protect their lineage going down the line. There was talk of her being betrothed to her stepbrother, Prince Aegon. Thank God that did not happen. Thank God. Yeah. Okay. Since it's House Targaryen, siblings or half-siblings marrying each other is not that weird for them. But the real issue is the practicality of the fact she is 17 and at that hunt it was celebrating his second birthday. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I said, thank God this didn't happen. I mean, I could have seen it if he had been like 10 or 12. Yeah. And she was 17. Because there's no way a two-year-old is going to be able to consummate a marriage and sire heirs. Right. At all. And she's 17. She can't wait until he's old enough. Because by then, while she would not technically be too old to be bearing children, they would consider her too old to bear children. Right. Weird. Yeah, so Lord Strong recommends Sir Lenor Valerian, Lord Corliss's son, who is her cousin. Yeah. As a match to mend the rift between the houses. Right. And to be fair, it's also similar to the earlier proposal of Viserys marrying Lena. It, it just politically mm -hmm. and makes sense as well. Yeah. It's probably, but we find out something else in... The next episode. Yeah, the next episode, we figure out a little something. We find some things out. Oh, no, wait. Actually, you know what? Technically, it's the fifth episode. But I think it's implied in the fourth episode. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's implied in the fourth episode. We realize it in the fifth episode. Yeah, they made it very clear in the fifth episode. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I guess we'll move on to the next episode then. Episode four, King of the Narrow Sea. Yeah. So Damon returns from fighting the pirates in which of course he dramatically wins in the previous episode so he apparently mends his relationship with Viserys by presenting his brother the crown to the narrow sea since Damon was temporarily named king of the narrow sea and he was like no the only king there is my brother but then things get complicated when Damon decides he was gonna have a little fun with his dear admiring niece and he proceeds to chicken out later, leaving her high and dry and confused. High, dry, confused, and horny as hell. Let's just put it out there. Yeah, she is a 17-year-old. You know, that's how it is. Yeah, she's a 17-year-old. She's a virgin. She's never been touched by a man before. 
her uncle comes and her uncle is significantly younger than Viserys for one thing and he's a good looking man and it's weird but it's not weird so they go to a brothel and he seduces her but he like you said he chickens out he doesn't consummate and she's now what the hell do I do so she goes home and she makes a questionable and very bad decision she makes a bad decision regrettable apparently bad decision making is genetic in this family apparently yeah, apparently. Yeah, so she basically coerces Sir Kristen Cole, who she had named in the, what was it, the second episode? Yeah. The second episode as a Kingsguard. And so she coerces him into basically taking her maidenhood, her virginity. Yeah, listen, if you were going to get your V card checked out, yeah, you literally could have picked anybody else except somebody in the Kingsguard of all people. I get it. I get he's good looking, but come on. Right? Oh, God. Yeah. I was like, that. that's just, that's, no. I think I was actually yelling at the TV. Don't do it. Don't do it. I didn't even say that when Damon was trying to get it on with her. I was like, that's just weird. That's just wrong. That's wrong. But don't do it. When she went back to the Red Keep, I was like, no. I'm still shaking my head at that one. So it gets out that she was with Damon and they had left the castle and had gone out drinking and partying. And Allison asks Rhaenyra what happens, who lies and says nothing happened at all. Unfortunately, Damon doesn't really do that. He doesn't lie about it. He basically proposes that he should be the one to marry Rhaenyra. And Viserys is like, no. And he gets exiled back to the Vale, back to his wife, who we find out in the next episode about anyway. Yeah. Then basically Rhaenyra is no longer allowed to pick who she wants to wed. So she's betrothed to Sir Lenor. Right. Otto Hightower has been dismissed as hand because Rhaenyra claims that he is manipulating Viserys for his personal gain, which he was. And he is. Yeah, he absolutely was. Completely. He's the puppet master. And then... The Grand Maester gives Rhaenyra a tea that will allow any unwanted products of consummation to not stick around. Or as some people like to call it, Plan B tea. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And that leads us to episode five, We Light the Way. Oh, and conflicts are building in this one. Oh. Yeah. The episode starts off with a suspicious death, which is murder. Not so suspicious. A suspicious death that's not suspicious at all. We know it's definitely not suspicious, but uh, everybody else, it's suspicious to everybody else. But we sit there and we're like, we know it's suspicious. Nope. Nope. Not at all. And then we see the two betrothed cousins have a conversation where they come to an understanding and a certain arrangement. And it is pretty cool that Rhaenyra is very understanding of the fact that her fiancé is totally gay. Yeah. And totally has a boyfriend. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. Yeah. But of course, that just complicates things because they do have the very practical point of we have to have kids at some point. Not sure how that was going to happen, but they were going to figure something out. And so they have the wedding and drama happens where at this point, 
is it truly a Game of Thrones wedding if there's no death happening in it? Right. It's almost exactly like a Dothraki wedding. Basically, at this point, I was just like, good Lord. Oh, my God. So we realized that Rhaenyra's, okay, I know you're gay and you this is your lover and that's cool. I have a lover on my side, too, so we're good but we are going to have children we don't know how we're gonna have children but we have to have children and they're like okay sir Kristen cole he wants to basically take rhaenyra and run away and assume new identities and be together because he is in love with her she is not in love with him he enjoys having sex with him but she doesn't love him unfortunately he's not the brightest crayon in the box and when allison's questions him about Rhaenyra and Damon because Allison still believes that Rhaenyra and Damon are sleeping together and they're not. So he admits that he's the one that's sleeping with Rhaenyra, which is not good. Yeah. Yeah. So during Rhaenyra and Lenor's celebration, Allison enters the room. She's wearing a green gown, which is the signal color for House Hightower's call to arms, which means She's calling for them that they need to protect her, which is bad. Yeah. And for some reason, Damon is at the betrothal celebration where he's confronted by his dead wife's cousin. Yeah. That was, like I said, drama, drama and blood. Drama. More drama. Yeah. So Damon denies it. We all know he did it, but he denies it anyway. And he's asserting his claim to inherit all of the lands that were in her name since they were married. Lenor's boyfriend, Sir Joffrey Lawnmouth, surmises that Kristen Cole is Rhaenyra's lover. Kristen believes Joffrey is threatening to blackmail. He kills him, which horrifies everybody. So there's the murder that we were alluding to. Lenor is devastated, yet him and Rhaenyra are still wed late that night. And then Viserys collapses because he's not well. He's sick. At the end, Kristen Cole was about to commit suicide, but Alicent stops him and basically tells him that he is to work for her now i still don't understand how he got away with killing somebody who for all intents and purposes is an innocent person in public i know i don't understand that either i really don't get it but whatever anywho next episode unless you have anything else you want to add to this one this like you said this was a lot of drama blood and murder yeah that was that was it yeah did you like what you heard on our episode today well, then feel free to come back and listen to us again. You can find us on all different streaming sites, including Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Deezer, iHeartRadio, Spotify, you name it, we're there. And if you really like us, feel free to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Three Fates Decide. That's T-H-R-E-E Fates Decide. You can also email us at threefatesdecide at gmail.com. And check out our website at threefatesdecide.com to find other episodes, information about your three hosts, and all of our other links. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Three Fates Decide.